So this morning, um, obviously last week was Easter, and so we kind of revealed some stuff that wasn't quite popular, and I had a chance to tell Russ and Jennifer's kids this morning, ask them when you get home what I told them that I shared last week, something that most people don't know about, because I asked them the question, how many people rose from the dead on Easter weekend on that weekend? So if you weren't here last week, the, the answer is many. It wasn't just Jesus. Jesus rose on Easter Sunday, so to speak, but the scriptures tell us that when Jesus died, the rocks were burst, there was an earthquake, and people rose from the dead. The thing that threw me off, they didn't even come out of the cemetery until Sunday morning. It's like, what were they doing? You changed a lot. Whoa, I haven't seen you for a while. Flattened your curb, didn't you? I don't know. Like, it's just, who knows? Like, it could have been really hilarious of what happened in the cemetery. That's what they, it says. Go read your own Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. But that tidbit of three days or them staying in the cemetery, I never realized until last Saturday night. And I was like, oh, my goodness. There's still new stuff to learn? I love it. Because I'm, it was just routine and just blah, 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 I really get bored quick. Maybe that's my ADHD, I'm not sure. Hey, good morning, Simon. Glad you're watching from Toronto. All right, so this week, things that made me ponder. This is just a section of, of thoughts and quotes that caught my attention this week. Some are deep, some are just out there, um, and some will be connected to your spiritual journey, or maybe you get more out of this than you do the actual message. Or the music, who knows. So I, I trust the Holy Spirit's the one who engages us. I love this. The aim of an argument or discussion should not be victory, but progress. We forget that. We forget that when we talk about theology. We forget that in our homes, in our marriages. We forget that when teaching our children, especially when they're teenagers especially when they're teenagers, dad card. <laughs> like, I can't do that anymore. I remember trying that when they were 21. That didn't go over. So, yeah. So, anyway, I thought that was really good, and it requires some uh, gentleness. I love this. Just because I disagree with you does not mean I hate you. We need to relearn that in our society. There are folks in this church I don't even agree with. We have disagreements, but here's the thing. I'm going to call one person out because I, I, I love him and he can get, he, he'll be fine with this. Right, Rod? You're fine with this, right? Just tell me yes. <laughs> Rod and I disagree on stuff. Can you believe that? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, we do. But we're, just like that first picture, we're not trying to be more right than the other per se. We have a trust that's been built already. It's because of that trust we get to dialogue, and that trust also stops us from bulldozing one another. If you don't have that relationship and trust, your goal is then to bulldoze somebody with over-information and, well, the Bible says this, oh, yeah, well, I'll raise you 1 Corinthians over your Romans 5, oh, yeah, well, I got 2 Timothy on that, like all the dumb arguing we do, and then we'll go have a cold beverage and joke around. Like, this, this is what's important. I remember a, a ministry leader, now pastor person, tried to confront me on something I was teaching. 
And he said, I thought we were friends. I said, we're not friends. Have we gone for a beer together? No. That's what friends do. We're colleagues. We have similar rules, but we're not friends. Friends is based on trust. So we need to be careful in how we confront and share and try to correct other people if it's done without understanding. So Rod and I, we've developed a really good friendship. I really, really value him and trust him. And I thought of him when, no, we don't get into deep, deep fights at all. But there are other categories where other people get into much deeper fights, but you can have disagreements and still be friends. Really important. Right, Rod? Yeah. This was tough. All negativity, this is by Eckhart Tolle, all negativity is caused by an accumulation of psychological time and denial of the present. Let me read that again. This is important. This may be over your head. That's fine. I'll get over it quick. All negativity is caused by an accumulation of psychological time and denial of the present. Unease, anxiety, tension, stress, worry, all forms of fear are caused by too much future, not enough presence. Guilt, regret, resentment, grievances, sadness, bitterness, and all forms of non-forgiveness are caused by too much past and not enough presence. I, I had to really, really read through this one. But you'll find the meme on my Facebook page afterwards. But that really got my attention this week. Treat everyone as sacred until the sacred in them remembers. We've been talking about this with religious language here at Hope Fellowship. We are to see each other as the light of Christ is already in them. That's how we're to see them. And if they don't see it, we speak to them as though that light's there. It changes how we interact. We don't speak to them as separated. We speak to them as in union already loved. It changes our judgmentalism. Love is the answer and should be the place from which we have all of our conversations. I love this. Ooh. Angry is just Sad's bodyguard. <laughs> have you struggled with some anger lately? Moments of anger, or if it's not just anger, sometimes there's a buildup of you're just short with everybody. You may not be angry, but you're just short, and your patience level is just trying to be and you react way too fast. And, and like you're, you're hitting that, I said yellow line, but maybe there's a red line, the ding, 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 ding. Um, maybe there's something else going on. And usually it's expectations. Is there something sad in your life? As you ponder it too much and you go back to Eckhart Tolle's comment or quote, now you're realizing this is, this is very interesting. So maybe that's just been my week this week. It's just, these are some of those things that hit me. But there's a couple more really, really good ones. My favorite exorcism by Jesus was when he cast the attributes of the devil out of our image of God. Jesus came to do many things. But I think one of the biggest gifts, the best things Jesus came to do was to correct our false concepts of who his father is. All the way through, every story, 
we see a new reflection of who God the Father is. We've covered that a lot over the last couple of years. Jesus didn't die to save you from an angry God, but to save you from believing he is. Mm, I like that. Define yourself as radically, sorry, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. Define yourself, really important. See yourself as that. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Brendan Manning. Quite powerful. Second last one. Hebrews 13.5. This is for you who feel God may have left you alone or abandoned you. God doesn't do abandonment. Jesus doesn't do abandonment. The Holy Spirit does not do abandonment. I will never leave you nor forsake you. In the uh, Greek it says never not. You will I leave. Um, nor never not, you will I forsake. So there's, there's a couple of translations that are worth looking up. The Greek's sometimes really hard to, to read. However, everything's online now. Nothing's a secret. So whatever the pastor says, you can look up and say, hey, that's not what it says. <laughs> so we got to be really careful, which is important. Um, there's a, a translation called Young's Literal Translation. It's a beautiful translation to have in your archive ready to go. But here's what happens. In English, when we see a double negative, it cancels it out. It's just a weird way we do grammar. <clears throat> but in Greek, a double negative is a double down, a quintuple negative, God's solemn oath. God's doubling down. No, never will I ever, never abandon you or leave you nor forsake you. We forget that, especially when we're having difficult times. Don't connect not feeling God as equaling to his absence. Or things not happening the way you want, equaling God's absent. It's impossible for God to be absent. Impossible. For he holds some things together? No. He holds all things together. Henry Nouwen writes, precisely when we live in an ongoing conversation with Christ and allow the Spirit to guide our lives, we will recognize Christ in the poor, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and will hear his cry and respond to it whenever it is revealed. But that happens in the now. Not when we're thinking future, not when we're focusing on past. Are you seeing, are you seeing how all this dovetails? It's got nothing to do with my sermon, but man, it's good. So if you're wondering what kind of week I had, <laughs> that's just a small snapshot. The journey to Easter, but now it's the days after. So the next, well, I don't, I don't, this is probably my last one for Easter because next week we have a guest and then I want to dig into some of the stories that did follow, uh, what happened in the early church, how did it get formed. I want to probably visit the book of Acts uh, better than I have in the past. It's time, it's time for us to remember why we meet. And it's not for religious reasons. Henry Nouwen has a devotional, short one, called Claim God's Love for You. This might be perfect for somebody needing to hear this today. For a very long time, I considered low self-esteem to be some kind of virtue. If you've been in the church long enough, this is a thing, you know. 
putting yourself down constantly. I've been warned so often against pride and conceit that I came to consider it a good thing to denounce myself. I'm nothing. God's everything. I'm nothing. Do you remember that language? That's a pendulum swinging way too far the opposite way. But now I realize that the real sin is to deny God's first love for me. To ignore my original goodness. Because without claiming that first love and that original goodness for myself, I lose touch with my true self. And embark on the destructive search among the wrong people and in the wrong places for what can only be found in the house of my father. This idea of denying God's first love for me, ignoring your original goodness. How many times have we been told we were born evil? Well, it's time to revisit and research it. If you think, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says, it's time to research it. We've done that as a congregation already. And we will keep doing it because it's a resounding, regular theme in our culture and in our society. God's original goodness is in you. Let's focus on that. Imagine what that would do for your mind. And the more you grow like that, you're going to find out God's actually not angry. He's for you. It's just a, a way of thinking that has not been well cultivated in the church of Jesus Christ. The journey to Easter, the days after, part six. Last week was a lot of fun dealing with some fresh stories or fresh spins on the, on the stories. Today I want to get into a little bit more. But why do we believe the resurrection? Why is it important? I'm going to give you a quick Bible college list because it's easier. Because <laughs> um, sometimes people wonder, well, how can we believe it? Because you're, for every story you're going to hear, especially with the internet the way it is, you're going to hear counter stories, counter offers. And when you, when you feed too much in the area of um, uh, anything goes, it can get really dangerous and scary. I, I do trust the Holy Spirit to be big enough to guide our attention back to what is actually true. And it might mean releasing some faulty concepts and finding even better good ones. So, why? Because of an empty tomb. Remember, these, these stories were written at a time where there were witnesses. There are some people who will say, well, no, it was written long, long, long after and so on. And we can get into that. But there's enough evidence to show that there likely were real eyewitnesses who heard the stories firsthand or secondhand. Who were closely connected to rather than making up a story and just writing it down and somehow made it in. The many witnessed appearances of Jesus... In other years, I spent after Easter really focusing on all the different uh, times Jesus showed up. There's a couple really remarkable ones. I'm going to probably talk about one or two of them today because I think they're really exciting. Um, but there's enough witnesses that saw that. that. That's one category. The disciples' radical, tra radical transformation. They ran away one night and boldly arrested after seeing Jesus. So here's something practical. Here we have... Peter, who denied Jesus three times. Probably the most loyal disciple. The most loyal zealot who would kill, not die for Jesus, but kill for Jesus. Big difference, by the way. <laughs> think about that. Oh, yeah, you guys can think through that yourself. 
but the fact that their lives radically changed. They holed up in a small room. They were now afraid for their lives because there was almost a, a wanted poster up for them. That's why Peter denied. Because he thought he was going to get thrown in and, and have to die as well. But all of his hopes, Peter's expectations of who he thought Jesus was, failed. Maybe we have false expectations of who Jesus is. So that when we hear something we think is new, go, that can't be right. But just because something is new doesn't mean it's new. It may easily mean it's just new to you. And for some of you that come from different denominations and tribes, um, you understand that. If you come from one particular tribe or church group, you'll have been groomed to believe and see and understand through a certain lens. And when you hear something from somewhere else, you go, what? No, we're the real church. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That should be alarm bells for you. <laughs> we have disciples who end up traveling. We have Paul who traveled. We have a city in Jerusalem that was filled with world travelers. We have a history that we are unaware of in the Western church. And visiting our history, theological history, is extremely valuable. I hope when I get into the early church stuff, I want to add in some of that history. One of, one of the books that I recommended that could drive you nuts, or you like it, I don't know, um, Brian McLaren's Do I Stay Christian? He gets into some history stuff that's nasty, that we're not aware of. But after hearing that, it didn't dissuade me from my love for God. It just saddened me for how God was used as a way to declare war and do violence. And you'd be shocked at history. You really would. So radical change in the disciples. So there's something believable about that. You can't make that up. They're not going to die for a lie. I don't think anybody really does. They might die to save face, but still yeah, find a way out of it. Especially the simple disciples. Remember, they were fishermen. They knew better. The pattern of life changes in history. People that encountered Jesus had significant life changes. Each, one, each list or each item on here may not be enough in and of itself. But when we start to put the package together, you go, wait a minute. There's something I believe about this. And nobody can give that to you. You can't make that up. That's the Holy Spirit who can possibly confirm what to believe and when. B.C. and A.D. is still impacting us. Before Christ and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. There's enough history to give credibility that Jesus existed. He rose from the dead. Those that are naysayers, that's fine. I've heard a lot of the naysayers, and I've heard some pretty, pretty, you know, convincing arguments, but there's still holes to poke in some of those bubbles. And it's like, no, something in me is revealing that. And it's not my job to try and convince the naysayers they're on their journey, and it's not my job to correct them or woo them. My job is to love the Christ in me, and love who's in front of me. That's it. it. Takes all the pressure off. It really does. 
The road to Amos. This is pretty cool. <clears throat> if you don't know the story, two disciples are walking down a road and a third guy shows up, Jesus. They don't recognize him because he's kind of done the don't recognize me thing, that, that magical, whatever he did. I don't know. It's pretty funky. And so he's talking with them. And uh, he pretended to go a different way. And they said, no, come with us. Come have dinner with us. But on that road to Amos, Jesus does something profound. And this is where we need to sit up and listen for a moment. Because there are some patterns of thinking that I think need to be challenged and not just bought up and believed so quickly. Some people like to throw away the Old Testament now. Oh, the Old Testament, we don't need any of that. You know, or even some of the New Testament books. Oh, we need a whole new Bible. and All kinds of craziness is out there. It's all out there. But Jesus does something here to give tremendous credibility. He explains to these two disciples what happened. The prophecies were explained leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection. He connected all the dots that most of us could never do. These two disciples got the greatest history lesson of all time. If I were to be ported back in a time machine, that would be one conversation I would love to go back to. Yeah, there's a bunch of other ones that are pretty cool. I like to walk on water and all that fun stuff, cool. Raising the dead, I didn't want to be Lazarus. But anyway, the whole idea of, of this walk and hearing this finally putting the pieces together is incredible. Suddenly, Jesus disappears from them. I guess they were eating and boom, he's gone. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. I guess the road to Amos was a short, or a trip that they suddenly had to change direction and go back. Because Jesus revealed himself to them. And everything changed. They found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. So that's the one part of the story. Go and read it yourself. It's just a long thing to read, but it's really good. Luke 24, 35 to 49. This is where it gets even more freaky, and you see the character of Jesus coming through. This is the point of today's message. He doesn't leave anyone alone. He doesn't leave the worriers. He doesn't leave the doubters, the discouraged. He doesn't abandon them, and Jesus does that in this part of the story so beautifully. Then the two from Amos told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. It was as Jesus was breaking the bread they recognized him. And it wasn't until that moment that Jesus did in his mind, now you can recognize me. He did not allow them to recognize him until that moment, which is a lesson to us. You can't make someone understand or get it. This is spiritual. Everything is spiritual. So the knee-jerk reaction of, oh, can't you see that? What part don't you get? Language has got to go for all of us. 
because it's just our impatience, which is not the fruit of the Spirit. Just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. It's like Jesus went, boo. <laughs> That's a cool trick. Okay? Peace be with you, he said, of all things. What would you do if you got home this afternoon and suddenly Jesus shows up in your kitchen? In full form, bodily form, boom. Call 911. <laughs> but the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. The word ghost is really important. They had a lot of superstitions, some of it written in to the Old Testament. That was never meant to be there. But it was written in because it was believed. That's why you had the Pharisees. You had the Sanhedrin. You had the Essenes. You had the Zealots. And then we had the last one. Sorry? Sadducees. Yeah, because they're always sad. You see? Thanks. That was the funny one. That's right. Each of them had different concepts of who and how they believed about God. That God is spirit and never physical. And they thought they saw a ghost. They thought this is not really Jesus. It's just a ghost. It's not real. That's why this next thing happens. Watch. Why are you frightened? Because you just showed up out of nowhere. Of course, that's why I'm frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Because of bad theology. Their hearts were full of doubt because of faulty, incomplete theology. And Jesus was going to correct that. Watch this. Look at my hands. I have holy hands and holy feet, literally. You can see that it's really me. Touch me. And make sure that I'm not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies. As you see, I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief. How can you have even more disbelief after you got a... He's right there. Like, I'm like really there. We can say that now, but... Filled with joy and wonder, they asked him, do you have anything here to eat? Jesus asked him, do you have anything here to eat? Why do you think he would ask that question? Because, man, it's been a few days and I haven't eaten. <laughs> I've been dead. <laughs> no, that's not why. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. Why? Ghosts can't eat. Spirits don't eat physical food. You've seen those cartoons, the ghost drinks water. <laughs> right through them, literally. <laughs> Same thing. This was a deep-held belief that had to be unlearned, deconstructed, renewed, corrected. And Jesus did it with the greatest gentleness. Give me some food. First of all, the physical part, you're not catching on that this is real. So fine, give me food. 
Because that, that should be the final convincing block. And then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled, which is what he talked about on the road to Amos. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Pause on that for just a moment. Just like those two on the road to Amos, they couldn't understand who Jesus was. They couldn't recognize him because they weren't given the ability to recognize Jesus. And just now, they weren't able to understand those Old Testament scriptures. You'd think, after learning all that we've learned, oh, how can they not get it? Because of that sentence. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You can have a lot of knowledge, you can have a lot of memorization done, but you may not have understanding. Understanding comes by revelation. And once revealed, it literally can't be unrevealed. It can be forgotten. We don't need revival, we need revelation. We need understanding. There's too much information out there. But he opened their minds, which means he can open your minds. You don't have to stress over not getting it, not understanding it. Saying I don't know is probably the most spiritual thing you can say. It took me a long time to learn that one. Because I was supposed to be the answer person. I'm a pastor. I have to give an answer. I know less now than I did before. Because the menu's gotten bigger. It's like, what? The love of God's bigger than I was told. And the more I grow, I'm finding it's true. That God's love is bigger and better. And I'm seeing it more in people. And I'm seeing it more in the stories. And I love it. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. You are witnesses of these things. You, disciples, you are the witnesses. You saw this. I've given you the physical touch. See, you saw me eat. You can't get more physical. This is real. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with the power from heaven. Keep in mind, the word fills does not mean empty coffee cup needing topping up. The word means, the word filled, to be controlled by. Very different meaning than what we in our English think it means. Otherwise, you're lacking. You aren't lacking. Your awareness is what's lacking. Let's go back to this for a second. Almost done, sorry. For all who repent. Now this, there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Bad translation. But many translations say this. And it could imply you only get it if you repent. A transaction. It's not the case. Let me share with you from three or four other translations the same verse. Which should make you go do your own research. I'm just teasing you right now. A deeper look. The Passion Translation says now in that same verse, you must go into all nations and preach repentance and forgiveness of sins so that they will turn to me. Start right here in Jerusalem. 
There's no transactional forgiveness there. We are to declare the forgiveness. Declare the reconciliation is what one book says. The message translation, more of a paraphrase, but still it says it beautifully. Through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, though, uh, through the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations starting from here. This is a proclamation. Because most of the Old Testament system, the whole Jewish sacrificial system, the purpose was what? To get forgiven. To be clean. Remember that last day they put the goat out and they send all the sins of the people out into the desert. And everybody's cheering. Woohoo, I'm clean, I'm clean. Smack. Don't talk back to me. Oh, shoot. Now i got to wait a whole year to get clean. That's what it is. It was a system of constantly remembering your sin. Jesus came to help you constantly remember the goodness he's placed in you. Big difference. The New American Standard Bible, which is more of one of the more accurate translations, says, and that repentance for forgiveness of all sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. We're proclaiming the forgiveness of God. That's different than trying to get it. So careful with your translations. Keep reading. And if you still see it that way, that's fine. I can't unsee what I now see. So I'm not going back there. But... I am seeing this grow more and more throughout the scriptures. Uh, no, no, mm-mm, sorry. See? Well, it's, it's 11. <laughs> sorry. Oh, you know what? I go back to one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes to Thomas and tells Thomas, put your hand in my side. Put your hand in my holes, my hands. Because Thomas was known as Thomas the Doubter. He needed a lot of convincing. He was skeptical. Jesus doesn't abandon. He went after Thomas, knowing full well Thomas really doubted. He knew his heart. That was the grace of Jesus, searching out the ones who probably need a little extra attention. We tend to avoid those people. <laughs> Not one left behind. Who else did he go after? Peter. Who denied him three times. And then he was restored with Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Covered that a little bit last week. Whatever your doubts are, they're okay. They're allowed. Doubt is not a sin. Doubt is not a sign of lack of faith. Any faith you have has been a gift given to you. You can't muster up your own faith. That's impossible. The slogan, you need more faith, is an illusion. Somebody made that up. We live by the faith of Christ. I trust the faith in me to teach me, keep guiding me. I trust the same faith in you to guide you and teach you so we can become more loving people, being agape to others and seeing the love in others, seeing the light in others. That's what we're about. We're not about programs. We're about being the light of Christ in us to others. Pretty cool. Heavenly Father, wake us up. If there's doubt in us, you are fully aware of it and we'll address it in your good time. 
We don't have to rush it. We don't have to go scurry with research and try to make sure we get the right answer. You are the answer, not the wording we need to come up with. You are the answer to all of our questions and doubts when it comes to faith and love. The faith of a child, the simplicity of a child. Thank you, Jesus.